Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Good Grief, the podcast from the O'Connell Family Funeral Homes. Be sure to check us out at O'ConnellFuneralHomes.com. Today on the phone, it's going to be Michael O'Connell as he joins us with Dr. Kristen Severson. And we're going to be talking today about, this is a good discussion, uh, in medicine specifically about advanced care directives. We're going to talk about what you talk with your health care provider about why and what makes good sense for all of us. So thanks again for joining Good Grief. And Michael O'Connell, you know, you yourself are not with us in the studio right now as you had a bit of a scare. So uh, you at this stage, a health scare that is, you at this stage are very comfortable with this topic because it's uh, very recent for you. So first of all, uh, cheers to you and we hope you're feeling well. Thank you, Pete. Hello, doctor. Uh, Yes, I had a little scare. I had... uh kidney cancer was found accidentally and i had surgery a week ago they removed it part of my kidney and i am cancer free so amen to that so all these questions we're talking about i was force fed them a week ago today wow so one week ago it's amazing doctor how the uh one week ago today's and the things think about if this was 30 years ago we wouldn't know i mean it wasn't automatic right exactly so (laughs) The advancements are absolutely stunning. Yay. So aren't we lucky? Yes. So let's talk about advanced directives. And let's start first with you, uh, Dr. Severson. What, what is an advanced directive? And personally, I come to this, I've never heard of it. So I'm excited to learn more. So what, what is it? Well, it, it's, it's a broad umbrella term for a couple of different legal documents that allow us as stubborn, stoic individuals to guide our end-of-life care like we do everything else like finances like home things like our vacation plans we have the right and actually obligation to tell our health care providers what's important to us as we look forward thinking about how we want to die so does this fit uh, really oh, real heady stuff here right i know i know did you see me jump i was like <laughs> I oh, did. God. uh so 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 how is this different from uh off script a little bit here from perhaps a will or does it play into that totally different um the traditional will that we worry about is who gets my jewelry who gets the convertible where does a house go and this has nothing to do with it what we're talking about today is purely related to healthcare decisions, not money, not properties. And so under this umbrella term of advanced directives are two different kinds of things. One is um, a living will that I think of as a, a frosting on the cake document. Sure. And then the other one that I think is super, super important in the practical piece is the power of attorney for healthcare. And the power of attorney for health care um, is a very simple document to fill out. It really is a checkbox for about four questions. And then it allows me to choose who I know and trust to be my voice when I can't be my own advocate. So Gotcha. So this is not to be confused. It's, it's completely different from those other things. This is... Absolutely. And this is... Um, I, I wonder from a percentage perspective... How many people just trolling around out here would you know? I mean, I, I bet you a lot of people don't even think they should do something like this. Exactly. In my practice, it, it's adults, so it's generally 18 till 118. And the great majority of them are grown-up grandparents. I'd say 50-50, they look at me like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm like, hello, you've been in healthcare, you've been sick. Hello, where, where are you? Some people work in healthcare, mm-hmm. and they have no clue. I'll deal Imagine with that. it later. 
Yeah. <laughs> and we don't have later. Yeah, right, because later doesn't tell you when either. Exactly. So why would you do it? I mean, what's the what are the best benefits of it? Because I'm a control freak, and I don't want somebody else making decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Including family. Oh, absolutely. Nobody. It, it's, it's my body. It's my life. And I want to direct what happens when things look not so very maybe good either for the be- for the better or the not. And I know that um, a lot of times doctors can look at a medical chart and say this person is looking at limited life expectancy. You should stop and don't and don't. But the person might have good reasons for saying do everything and sure. go everywhere. That's their decision and their right. But on the flip side, a lot of doctors also are afraid to give up and say we can't fix And so we put people through what I call the medical model that people may not want. And they may say, you know what, let's back away from that because that's not important to me. I don't want to be in the hospital in the medical model. And they have a right to say that. And then we can help them on that journey. And then it also, uh, from our notes here, I'm saying it can limit family conflict when these types of discussions come up. I mean, if if you, you can solve a lot of problems by taking control, like you said earlier. Yes, be proactive. So, so I've got a question then, uh, doctor. So in the funeral business, and that's how I can relate, is if somebody says, well, and it even writes it down in a cocktail napkin that, you know, I want this, I want it at this church, or I, want, I don't want it at that church, blah, 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 and they don't do anything. Or, for example, that I am, I've got that sticker on my license that says I'm an organ donor, which... You and I both know that's not organ donation. That's for the for the organs when you're living, but the family can override it. So I know in the funeral business that we have a right of disposition that if signed, I could have Pete, my right of disposition, which overrides my next of kin, my wife. So when you sign these and um, these advanced directives, you can put Pete as your advanced directive lead over your next of kin, and they can't ride that. Is that correct? Very, very much so. And, and that's a great point. Each state is different in what their laws are. And if we look at our neighboring Minnesota, Illinois, if I don't have a power of attorney for healthcare document, there is an automatic default pecking order that the law has established a spouse, an eldest child, etc., to be my voice when I can't. Wisconsin does not have that, and a lot of people are completely unaware of it. So if I don't name somebody, then my family and friends have to petition the court for guardianship. And when I'm acutely ill and there's a lot of emotion and a lot of health changes, the last thing I'd want is to put my family through a legal system in order to be my voice. And so then to piggyback on your question, just because I have family does not mean that that person is the best voice and decision maker for me because oftentimes family is too emotionally close and it's hard to separate what they want compared to what my wishes are. This document does not allow them to be carrying out their wishes for me. They have to be my voice for what I have told them is important. And so some people say, I don't want my spouse or my kids. I want my neighbor, my childhood friend, because they are detached enough that they can be my voice. Kind of less emotional. Very much so. Uh, and then you can, have, you can have stronger, secure decisions or you trust yes right yes you bring up a good point in that too that uh, many people know i was a paramedic and that and being a border 
cities where we are, you can have a advanced directive at Hudson Hospital, Baldwin Hospital, anywhere in Wisconsin, but when you get shipped to United, all that's worthless. Am I right? Oh, no. As far as the, the POA for healthcare, the power of attorney, yes. But where I hinted before that the living will is kind of the frosting on the cake, the living will is an absolutely open blank journal for us to write down what my wishes are and how I want it to look like. And so that's where a lot of people will say, after 3.6 weeks, then take this away, or after five months, then don't do this. But a, a, a very gifted and insightful patient of mine turned it backwards, and instead of don't do CPR, don't do feeding tubes, don't do antibiotics, she defined what living meant to her in the warm, fuzzy way of, I want to feel the snuggles from my dog and the hugs from my great-grandkids. And she finished this beautifully written idea by saying, if my healthcare team can't promise that given test, huh. given treatment will provide this quality of life, then please respect me and say no thank you. And it was a very well-written, interesting approach. And, and so that living will is kind of the recipe for you to discuss with your family, your friends, your agents as to what they should say if they are given the privilege and responsibility of being your voice. That document is not um, a checkbox. You have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. And those general ideas can be transferred across state lines. And it's kind of that guidance for that voice if you haven't had the opportunity to vocalize with them. And that's the biggest challenge. So how, where, who do I go about if I'm someone listening to this podcast and I want to get an advanced care directive? Where do I go? Yay. Uh, the easiest, I think, is to go right to your provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner, and say, hey, I, I heard this weird thing that's out there. I want it. Give it to me. And, and each clinic should have a, a click button off of their computer. They can print it. Um, there are, in Wisconsin, websites. And, and the great one is if you simply Google search Wisconsin, uh, DPOA healthcare, and it brings up a DHS um, form sheet. And that form online, you can print the power of attorney documents, you can print uh, advanced directives, you can print your living will, and you could even go as far as printing a DNR form which is a very different conversation, different um, type thing. But DHS is hard to maneuver. But if you Google Wisconsin DPOA healthcare, boom, it pops right up. Done. Okay. Yeah. So then uh, where do you submit? Does it give you directions within that website? Now that you've done this, nope. what do you do with them? Do you mail them in? Do you take them in? Do you upload them? You hit the magic print button. Yeah. And you can print as many times because the magic of this is it's a very fluid document. And so people, when I'm talking to like a 24-year-old, they freak out because they're afraid that as soon as I sign that dotted line that I've lost all control with my own voice. But then I, I want people to understand this is almost like a um, an insurance document for your health. Sure. We all have to have insurance, and we hope we never need it. But by golly, when you need it, you are so thankful 
that it's mm-hmm. done. And so you, you print this document today in 2022, and let's say something changes five years, two months, 20 years from now, you simply rip up that current document and start all over. No different than changing a deductible. Exactly. So if you're saying, you know what, I don't like where this is at, let's change it. Exactly. So you're not locked in. Exactly. Okay, and you huge. don't need lawyers. Mm-hmm. You don't need notaries. So it's a very easy process. Yeah. So once you print these papers, what you do is take them to your healthcare provider. They are going to put it in the clinic chart, the hospital chart. And I encourage people to take it to each of their specialists. So if you have a heart doctor, or a lung doctor, or you go to this hospital or that hospital because not all of the electronic records talk. Yep. But you want to keep it in your paperwork. You want to give it to your agent so they know that they've been given this potential responsibility. And then you just know where it is. That's beautiful. In case of... So, Michael, did did you did you have <laughs> Michael? Did you have such a document when you went in? Well, I was just going to say when you are when there's a crisis, that's not the time to be looking for it first of all or thinking of it because there's a crisis. Um, mine wasn't a crisis, but when you're sitting in a hospital bed, they're getting the IV and they look at you and they go, "Do you have advanced directives? Uh, if you stop breathing, I'm like, uh, well, why would I stop breathing?" <laughs> uh, no, I mean, why would we talk about this? So it, 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 it's not the time to do it then. You want to be proactive and do it when you're clear of mind and emotions are, like the doctor said, taken out of it. One question I have, uh, Dr. Kristen, is too, is do you foresee a time where that the medical records of the hospitals will play nicely and communicate better? <laughs> when I went to my first doctor for my cancer, I was taken back because here I don't know if I'm living or dying and I get there and a he hadn't even looked at my file but he didn't even get my CT scan and he asked for a CD-ROM of it which to me was a joke Mm -hmm. but um, they said well our systems don't you know communicate very well at what point will they communicate um, or is that something that'll just never happen that's the million-dollar question. However many years ago, the government made each healthcare entity move to an electronic record with the idea that within months, everybody across the nation would have connections. It's not there yet, and that was years ago. I know in 2006, someone specifically hired to train Epic, for example. Still doing it in 2022 Absolutely. and so to real time real life that's just one program and that doesn't mean that hospital abc and efg are two different places have the same one and then you got to get those to talk to them then you get into the computer world inside baseball we're talking api they got to figure it out yes please like, people. get it on the same page do you find this i don't mean to turn this into this discussion but i find this part fascinating in today's day and age it needs to be a little more organized and someone needs to take charge. Who is that? Do we know? I mean, that's, that's the tricky part. Let's do another podcast on that one. Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) We'll do it after five o'clock. By the way, uh, (laughs) Michael, uh, Kristen is one of the smoothest talking guests we've ever had. So this has become the easiest podcast I've ever done. Wouldn't you agree? Cake, yes. Yeah, I, I'm unbelievable. We start this thing, and she's like, "Can you edit?" I'm like, "Sure, no problem." I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go." No, I'm not really, but you know, most people that ask that just are silky smooth. 
the ones that don't, you have to add it. So good job. You're doing great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big I'm a big believer in positive reinforcement. Okay. Uh, do you remember in the 80s when we had the vial of life? So you'd get the EMS call and you'd go to a house and you'd say, where's your refrigerator? And you'd go to it because some people would have their instructions in a tube in your refrigerator because it was a common place to go. Absolutely. the vial of life. And now I pick on that because I tell people that everybody's so mobile and nobody wants to stay home anymore and you can't take your refrigerator to the park or the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. So on, on that topic, uh, real quick, we were, we were talking a little bit about where you store it or who you share it with. Um, you, you, you know, we've sort of touched on this a little bit earlier. Your uh, immediate doctor should know about this or have access to that as well. And then as well with that immediate family and those types of people are, are who might need to know. Maybe it is the refrigerator or wherever you put it. You know, who knows? It just depends whom you are. But who else do you share it with and where do you put it typically? I tell people that these documents should be photocopied a million times over. So wherever you keep your documents in the folder at home, all of your agents, any of your family members, any of your doctors, hospitals that you have contact with. And then I think the magic of it is, is to keep a master list of where these pieces are. Yep. Because if you change your mind down the road, you don't want all of these old documents someplace. And so if you move, you can contact that uh, entity and say, you know, it's a moot point, it's destroyed, here's a new copy. But there's nothing other than just moving them. A couple other weird thoughts I have um, with some of my people who winter in other states or do a lot of traveling. There is absolutely no reason why you should not keep those in your hmm, suitcases or your vehicles, not necessarily that it's a legal document in wherever you are, but it gives hints and ideas to open the door if that crisis comes when you're in Utah. Well, and in many instances, you're not afforded the luxury of time. Exactly. So that's exactly. that's super huge. And emergency medical staff, as well as the doctors that do not know a person, do not have any documentation or forced to do everything they can, which might be against everything that you wanted, but they don't have the paperwork. Okay. Do you want to talk about that conversation? Or is that a 5 p.m. one too? No, that's an easy okay. one, truly. Okay. And and yeah. when it comes to a decision that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Mike, that um, everybody is medically obligated to do more than less. And so if nobody is aware of anything, everybody is going to be given the full court press until some of these documents can be produced and proven. And sometimes, like you hinted, it's way too late. So you, you as a... As a you're, you're intubated on a CPR. You didn't want that. And now you're on, you know, um, intubated and they find the paperwork and now you have to pull the plug and that just is traumatic to a family they that they didn't want to have it but they had to have it because the paramedics didn't know and the ER didn't know exactly but now we have an answer for that here's part two for the individuals who truly at age 40 at age 140 say absolutely under no circumstances do I ever want that trauma I don't care if it's tonight and, and I give people in the clinic the example right now we're talking if your heart stopped and you're on the floor dead what do you want? And if people say, right now I'm ready to stay dead and be dead forever, 
then Wisconsin has kind of a, a newer program compared to the refrigerator, that orange sticker in the freezer, where you can actually register through the state and have a physician sign a document that makes it a legal order to never resuscitate me. And that magic is that once you do that, then you wear a bracelet 24-7, and that should protect you in the state from anybody making a best effort at resuscitation. And so they will still come because everything always happens in the grocery store or someplace embarrassing. And everybody's going to panic. They're going to call 911. But when they see that bracelet, they will do their full assessment. They'll make sure that there is no heart rate, no breathing, that's not, oops, I tripped and, and broke a hip or I had a seizure or a stroke. But if a person is truly dead, they will see that bracelet. Of course, they're going to give you a blanket and a pillow and make you look comfortable so that the rest of the community doesn't freak out, but they will not start CPR. And so on that website with all the magic forms from Wisconsin, that form also can be downloaded and then brought to your doctor. The doctor talks with you, makes sure that everybody's on the same page, and then gets you help to get that bracelet. So this plays into the question of legally binding and then the, you know, we hear so many times where this family member's saying, no, we're going to give them every possible opportunity for life. That's what I want. Mm -hmm. Even though this may exist, can, can, what happens there? I mean, it, it must be legally binding, right? That's with, the whole point. With the DNR, do not resuscitate bracelet program because the physician signs it. It's a physician order. Okay. And so as long as I or grandma or uncle has that bracelet on them, that's a physician's order. And so no matter who is around, they should not be able to override that wish. Got it. Now, uh, Michael touched on this a little bit ago. Uh, let's say if something happens outside of the hospital and you have an ad advanced directive, but how is a, a paramedic or uh, anybody that's a first responder to know does that get a little, I mean, there's just nothing you can do. Is that pretty much, what's the deal there? Unless you, you if, if you have no communication of this and you're on the ground, what, what, what happens there? The hope is that if my feelings are so strong that I don't want any kind of resuscitation, that I would have that bracelet. That's kind of, at least in our circles, that's the newest conversation. It's really about push. that. Because really, until that time, paramedics are going to do what they can because my heart is still beating, and so I will be treated. And then usually where these advanced directives come in is, oh, my gosh, something really horrible happened to Grandma. Now, Tag, you're the decision maker. Do we go on with heart surgery? Do we go on with dialysis? And, and it's the bigger long-term questions rather than the immediate, do I start yeah. a heart or do I not? Well, so Michael, when you, I, when I you've- jump in there, Pete. Yep. Uh, with technology today though, it, um, the ambulance services, especially in a small town, let's say Hudson or River Falls, Baldwin, if you are, um, whether a frequent flyer or not, you can give them that directive and they'll put it in their computer and if that address comes up as a chirp mm -hmm. on their system they can pull it up on the way there and so i mean that's technology right that's so awesome. that wasn't there 30 years ago but it is today well, now does it work every time I, I don't know i've been out of the field for a while but there is advancements every day going on for better communication so that was my question i was going to say from the paramedics perspective is there any data or information they can um 
access what you're saying uh, as of now in a controllable community environment that maybe isn't as big as something like Minneapolis or St. Paul, you know, which maybe could happen there too. Certainly sounds like there is. Um, and then just can you touch on a little bit though from your first responder perspective? You know, you get there, you want to save and help, right? I mean, that's really what you're doing. Is that tricky on that perspective? Again, a little different. What's your question? Is it hard to just say, okay, we're done when someone says, I want to be done, and you know you can maybe do something as a paramedic? Out of, uh, well, absolutely. Now, okay, if, if it was something acute, absolutely. But if it's chronic and, and you can see the patient that, you know, putting them through that is going to be traumatic, uh, it doesn't increase their chance of living much or their longevity or quality of living, and you're looking at the family, then that's an easy decision. Now, if you have somebody that just, you know, thought, well, I don't, I'm going to, you know, live another 30 years and so, but if something happened to me, hell no, I don't want that. And then something does happen to them and their family is crying, but yet you got a paperwork that said he didn't want CPR and he's 50. Yeah, that's hard. Absolutely. Sure. So Dr. Severson, uh, you've been on the front end of a lot of these conversations. How do I start that with you? How does it begin or how do you start it with the patient? Um, oftentimes patients don't initiate it. And so I've made it a, a habit of mine for either brand new people that I've met or the ones who are physical. We ask any med changes, have you been immunized for flu and etc. Tell me about your advanced wishes and what do your end of life goals look like? It just rolls off my tongue and it surprises yeah. a lot of people. Um, but uh, it, it hopefully is something that's getting more and more common that we can talk about. Nobody is afraid to talk about it. We've got a long ways to go yet. Um, but it should be just a part of your your general health care. They're tricky conversations to have, I'm sure. And yes. Oh. Have you ever seen the um, the bracelets, right? Um, medical or bracelets. Yeah. Have you ever seen one that said, I don't want to be foleyed? You don't want to be what? Because Folied, I don't said. want to be folded because here, here's why, if you want to know the, so I'm going under surgery and they put me under and somehow they must've been shorthanded or something. They ran down to the landscape, you know, the department, whatever, the garden department of the hospital. Oh no. They grab a 30 foot garden hose and they used it. And that was my Foley catheter on a garden reel. Holy man. I didn't like that. I'd rather be intubated than have a Foley, Foley catheter stuck in me again. Ouch. Oh, that thing was like 20 feet long. Oops. Doctor, can't we come up with something easier? You know, I, I've never offered that to somebody, but I could put it on my list. You want intubation? Do you want a feeding tube? Do you want dialysis? Do you want a Foley? So there, there you go. What are the options you can have? Like, what can you ask for? He just asked for one. That's an a option, right? A drinking straw or a garden hose. Okay, perfect. Cool. And then what else is there? I mean, what other options are there for you to uh, uh, request for your end-of-life wishes that you've seen that are common maybe or Really and used? truly, what, what my ideal world would be is to have it, that fabulous phrase that everybody uses in healthcare now is patient-centered conversations because it's so different and oftentimes I'll say it the easy question is resuscitate me or don't mm -hmm. you either plug me in or you don't however most of us through our healthcare don't have that luxury of a black and white 
And so let's pretend I work with a lot of people with memory problems. And that's probably the hardest thing to think and plan out. Sure. But that person, you know, I, I would rather talk to your, your, your healthcare provider and say, what are my health concerns? If it's lung cancer, what is that road going to look like? I'm going to be short of breath. I'm going to be less active. I'm going to have chest pain. I'm going to have a lot of anxiety because I can't breathe. So how can I anticipate those questions? If I have dementia, memory loss, I'm going to be physically fine, but I'm going to forget to eat. I'm going to forget to drink. I'm going to get recurrent infections. So my questions there are, do I want a feeding tube? Do I want somebody to give me IV fluids every month? Do I want somebody to keep treating infections if I if they keep coming back? If I have a bleeding problem, how many blood transfusions do I want before I say enough is enough? And so all of those are questions that are legitimate and really should be thought about. But instead of just blanketing everything, you know, look at what I'm dealing with and, and help me with that decision. Got it. Um, hammered, uh, uh, over the, the years, we've hammered that, haven't we, about pre-planning, talking, and don't putting that on your family. This is even amped up even more than that, that if you don't do some of these things, you're asking them to play a little godlike because oh, totally. they are then going to have to make the decision of live or die. And if you don't want that, that's why you do this. And I would say, and maybe the doctor would be saying this hereafter, but if you don't have a relationship with your doctor, I mean, Pete, can you imagine doctor, talking to Pastor, or excuse me, Dr. Kristen? It'd be so easy to talk to her about this stuff. You wouldn't feel threatened. You wouldn't feel awkward. If you have a doctor that you're comfortable with, this is not a difficult decision or discussion. But maybe if you don't have a doctor, find one and yes. let's start that relationship. Yes. Well, it, and if I may, you're absolutely correct, Michael, in how we've hammered on that topic. And, you know, I didn't even th think of this at all. I didn't know it really I never even knew. <laughs> I know you hear about the do not resuscitate stuff and whatever. And, you know, that could be long term patients or whatever care facilities and stuff. But uh, what what really is interesting, what what I think has been kind of my mission to hammer on with Michael here is now we've got what are you going to do with this after people pass away? That's explosive enough as it is when they die. Right. But this is even more intense before. So put those two together and we're talking combustible. Right. So why wouldn't we take care of those we love and do it the right way? Absolutely. And like you guys hinted, it's not necessarily my choice. And I hear this so often. I don't want to starve dad. I don't want to kill them by not feeding, by not doing. But in reality, if we're at that point where our bodies are so weakened, we're already on that last chapter of death. And how does it want to be? Does it want to be traumatic with IVs and tests and pills and treatments? Or does it want to be natural where I can be in an environment that I want? And those decisions from those agents then are an honor to what my life has been. They're honoring my final wishes and saying, this is what it's going to be. Well, so the irony is, is you may be physically starving them in this life, but you could be starving them from their next steps, no matter what you believe. Exactly. While you think you're doing well, um, but this all answers any of those questions whether you agree with them or don't agree with them as a family member and you may do something completely different correct it's really but it comes back to you said it's your decisions yes 
can I hint one more thing? Because that, that whole emotional piece of I'm starving, I'm killing my loved one yep. is so difficult. And it's hard for those of us who are good Midwestern Norwegians. We don't talk about emotions. Life's fine. It'll deal with itself. Mm. There are a couple um, other websites that really open up the, the warm, fuzzy part of this conversation that really make it practical. It's not medical, this procedure, that procedure, but it helps open up how do I even talk to my family about this. Um, one of them is a, a, a collection of videos that people actually interviewed people going through this process. How did I do it? What made me do it? And it's considertheconversation.org. It's a warm fuzzy of actual people who've done it. And then that same group who put the time into that research took it one step further and made about, I don't know, six to ten pages that are almost like a workbook and those are the probing questions of oh I never thought I should think about it this way and it helps make the conversation around the Thanksgiving table a little bit easier and that one is theconversationproject.org and that one you can hit the print button again and it's just things about how important is pain control how important is alertness how important is where my death happens to me and how can I make it work and so those are not legal patient um, papers it's just a matter of what and how do I where do I start thinking so we will take those uh, web URLs and we're going to okay. place them in the description. Perfect. And we'll put where do I start Perfect. on there. And then Perfect. we'll put the, the, the you named three or four of them uh -huh. here and then okay. earlier too as well where you get okay. all the uh, documents and those things. Yes. So uh, we'll make sure we get those posted so uh, people have e easy reference. So if you're grabbing your pen or hitting pause and then rewind, don't worry about it. It'll be linkable too, I'm sure, from within the description. Imagine that technology works. So, um, and you've kind of gone through the uh, good resources uh, with that. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be uh, terrible for someone uh, that's listening here to go ahead and start taking looks at these things and then come to you or their doctor and then continue the discussion. And there's one magic piece I want to say maybe in the last three years, and I'll stereotype and say that a lot of this activity really ramps up when people get <clears throat> grown up. Medicare in the last few years will now accept this as a reason for a medical visit. Oh, really? Yes. So if you're worried about co-pays and deductibles, um, now Medicare says, well, if you're going in for a cough, we'll cover your 80%. They will cover their usual 80% for this kind of a conversation with your provider. And so you can go in for your normal visit with this being the goal. Hey, this is what I'm hearing about. This is what I, I, I don't know where to start. And your mm -hmm. provider can talk with you. And that can happen as many times as you need it. They can help you go over your doctor documents, making sure that you know what you're agreeing to. They can kind of guide your health care and look down the road. What, what might it look like? Think about this. You can have those conversations every month if you need to. And the hope is that you go over these kinds of conversations at least once a year, like you do your financial pieces, like you do your insurance pieces. But then if there's a major health change, oh my goodness, now I have a, a stroke or now you've diagnosed me with heart disease. That's a 
perfect time to stop and relook. What's new in your wishes now compared to a year ago? They may have changed too. Absolutely. It's it's a yeah. fluid conversation. It's not a one and done thing. Back to our earlier point where it's not etched in stone. Exactly. And you can adjust and change things and move things around it as needed. Be. Absolutely. That is uh, fantastic. Uh, final question for you and, and Michael. Um, when you when you look at the people that have taken advantage of these directives, do you find the process, Michael, much like pre-planning, to be a lot easier, not only on you professionally, but also on the loved ones who are in the grieving process and trying to work through it as compared to those that haven't, and then there becomes this just wicked conflict. Can you kind of talk about how much this makes a difference? Uh, whoever wants it, go ahead, Michael. Well, yeah, excuse me. Absolutely. Uh, without a doubt, when you take the emotions out of somebody's tough decisions and you know, you're doing the patient right by right by them, um, it helps you put your head on the pillow and know you've done a good job and you've taken care of that person, what they wanted. So a resounding yes. Awesome. Uh, good stuff. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, for either of you, any closing comments before we wrap up this most uh, fascinating and information-laden podcast? Uh, we'll start first with you, Dr. Severson. I can always have comments. Um, no, I just, I think my, my big thing is look ahead and we know that death is coming for all of us. And so don't be stupid and close your eyes and hide from it. Make it what's important to you. And that makes it not only easier for you, but it makes it easier for your family when that time comes. It, it can be a celebration of a living life instead of a panicked, oh my gosh, now this is horrible. Michael O'Connell? Exactly what she said, and don't put that burden on your loved ones. That's what we're trying to get to here. Both of you, thanks for joining us during your busy schedules here today for another edition of Good Grief, the podcast from the O'Connell Family Funeral Homes. Be sure to check us out at O'ConnellFuneralHomes.com. And, you know, Mike, we've got a ton of great stuff on social media for people to be engaged and involved with your uh, your uh, great work that you do in the community as well. So be sure to check out all of those channels as well. Michael, continue your road to uh, full speed ahead, and we're really happy to hear things have worked out well for you. And thanks for jumping on the phone with us here today. Absolutely. And, uh Dr. Kristen, I've done this personally with you, but you are a great advocate and ambassador to your patients, and you are a blessing to the community all day long. Hey, thanks. And to you, Dr. Right back at you. To you, Dr. Severson, thanks for coming in. Great sure. stuff. We appreciate it. Sure. For Dr. Kristen Severson and Michael O'Connell, I'm Pete Wagner. So long, everybody. <laughs>